This episode of Talk Flagler is brought to you by Xanadu Pet Care, a local professional dog walking and pet sitting service right here in Palm Coast and Flagler County. Xanadu Pet Care holds licenses with the City of Palm Coast, Flagler County, and the State of Florida to provide pet sitting and dog walking services, also holding insurance coverage from Pet Care Insurance. Striving to provide expert care for all pets from the domesticated to the exotic, call Xanadu today for all your pet needs. Visit xanadupets.com, X-A-N-A-D-U-P-E-T-S.com, or call 904-497-6970. Ask for Emma. Talk Flagler, your look into local personalities, businesses, and everything west of the beach waves. I'm your host, Chris Gollin, and on this episode, we're talking to Florida State House of Representatives candidate Adam Morley. Adam is running against incumbent Paul Renner to serve Florida's 24th state district in Tallahassee. So go ahead and introduce yourself, Adam. Good morning. I am Captain Adam Morley, native to the district here, and glad to be on. All right. It's good to have you. So uh, I figure it's probably best to first talk about how you and I met. Because <laughs> this is a fantastic story. So oh, yeah. every every year, a group of the local churches in Palm Coast have this uh, congregational event at one of the churches around here just for men. It's like a men's gathering. We go yeah, there. The, the Man Up event. Yeah, Man Up event. There you go. We go there and we eat steak and we play games and we win like kayaks and stuff and little raffles. It's awesome. And so every year, my favorite event is the big old dunk tank <laughs> out, um, out by like the loading dock of this church. And, um, and every, every year, the same guy is sitting up there on that dunk tank. Shivering. Because you have have to remember, this is in January or February that they hold this event. So wintertime. You have a wetsuit, though. Come on. Wetsuits only work when you're consistently submerged in the water. When you're out of the water, it's just a wet, cold suit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're kind of right about that. But um, so, yeah, every year we go and I, I get my three sets of those little dimpled kind of baseballs and I just oh I, I give Adam a nice cold bath at least 15 times every 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 time they do it every you year. know 15 times out of what like three four hundred throws that's not bad I like, that, that's all right oh no I'd say like out of like 10 throws I'm just so right. good I get you uh, <laughs> like over a hundred percent but uh yeah at that point I already knew who I already knew who you were, Adam, as a candidate. Like I knew the name Adam Morley, but I did not know it was the guy I was sinking on the dunk tank every year. <laughs> like I did not know this was the same person. And then I think I was talking to a guy at our church named Tom about um, setting up for it one year. And he mentioned, he mentioned you. He's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll talk to Adam Morley. I'm like, wait, what? That's the guy? <laughs> but so yeah, that's how Adam and I came to know each other. And um yeah, I, I appreciate that story. I missed it this year. I hate that I missed it. I had work. Were you up there again on the dunk tank? I, I was, yeah. Oh, man. It was, it was actually, this was like 
this past event was probably the warmest that that I've attended out of I think it's been four years now that I've done it and this past year there's actually a little bit of sunshine this time and I, I was in the sun a little bit farther away from the building Th- things were things were a little bit more comfortable this year I, I really shouldn't be complaining about how cold I usually am oh that's a shame that's a shame to <laughs> be cold and uh, oh, you must not have gotten dumped that many times since I wasn't there you must have stayed pretty dry I, 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 I stay pretty dry at those events except for when you show up <laughs> Well, I'll get you next year. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Bring but, it on. Uh, let's see here. So getting back to on topic. So um, I figure first of all, so you're from, uh, are you from St. Augustine? Uh, Southern St. John's County and North Flagler County. So I actually grew up in Princess Place Preserve back when it was privately owned. Really? Uh, my mother was the caretaker there. And so we actually... Like we grew up right there on the property. If you take a tour through the princess's palace in the door frame on one of the doors, you'll see little height markers. And that's me and my older brother. As we would get taller, we'd get our heights marked on the, the door frame in the princess's palace. Uh, so I'm in the first in-ground pool in Florida back when the diving board was still functional rather than rotted through. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. No kidding. I love it at Princess Place Preserve. That is one of like the absolute gems of Flyware County. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh. And now, now you swim in that pool. Isn't that water always like green? Uh, no, it, it wasn't always green. Um, it's an artesian, uh, artesian well-fed pool. So it's constantly filling up and it's got the drain at one end and it's draining out the other end out into the, um, the Palisier Creek flats area. And back when it was being constantly swimming, it was stirring everything up. And so all of that stuff would drain out and it was a nice clean pool. Uh, but now that nobody swims in it, everything's kind of, it, it settles and allows for the growth to really take over. Wow. I never, you see, I never knew that. I figured since it was so old, it had just been like that forever. No, huh. no, it, it it was it was a mighty nice sw- pool to swim in. Wow, that is just that's awesome. Because I you know, I've been to Princess Place Preserve a billion times. It is just, I mean, it's seriously one of the absolute best attractions of Flagler County. And um, so you you grew up on on ground at Princess Place Preserve. And when did you move out of there? Um, I was probably nine when. When we moved out of there, uh, yeah, so I, I was probably nine when we moved out of there, uh, but I had already been kind of introduced to fishing. The The property owner at the time, he was the one who gave me and my brother our first fishing rods, and we would fish in that little creek right there where the, I guess it's the George Hans Bridge is yeah. now. Um, back before that was such a nice bridge, it was just a little rickety wood wooden bridge going over that Man. creek and so we we'd fish there so i would say we're it was my what i would consider my more formidable years that we grew up there about three or four years uh and moving away when i was about nine 
Wow. So that, um, yeah, I've gone fishing off that bridge before. I, I hear you can catch redfish off that, but I have not had some redfish, trout, snook. Like there, there's good fish in that little creek right there. Oh man, I'm gonna have to visit that again. That sounds nice. I've only ever caught like those little like toad fish there. It was ugly. <laughs> yep, <laughs> plenty of toad fish there. Oh man, yeah. So I'm gonna have to try again for those reds because I don't know. Redfish don't like me for some reason. I fish all the time, and people will catch redfish around me. And I just never, they, I haven't caught one in like five years. It's crazy. Ooh. I know. That, it's that, that, that's home. rough. I, my, my five-year-old son has uh, caught a few reds so far this year. So I, I, I don't know. It might, might be user error. You know, you could be right about that. He could just be putting me away. But I mean, like I finally caught a ladyfish. Uh, those are fun. About a week Poor ago. Poor man tarpon is what they call those. What's that? Poor man's tarpon is what they uh, call ladyfish. They're kind of the, the mini version of a of a tarpon. That is no joke because when I was fighting that thing and it was jumping, I'm, I'm looking at it like this is either a lady or a baby tarpon. Yeah. And that's what I've, I've read as people's experience. But I, I, I caught it and I'm like, other than like one nice little Jack Crevel, this is like the first non-catfish and mangrove snapper I have caught in 2020. <laughs> That's just well, that, that about sums up 2020 for you. Yeah, there you go. I'm having a very 20 typical 2020 uh, fishing year. But um, so you think, you know, growing up in Princess Place Reserve, experiencing that amazing natural beauty, do you think that was a good Kickstarter for your, you know, how much you advocate for clean water and the environment? Oh, ab- absolutely. It was like I, I 100% tie my my views on the environment and clean water uh, fishing, all of that back to, again, my, my formidable years. I grew up in really what I would consider one of the most beautiful natural places in Florida. And I got to experience what old Florida really was like. And that really instilled in me uh, the, the passion that I have for old Florida, the natural environment and making sure future generations have have the opportunity to experience the same. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, so, you know, that being one of the big, you know, tenets of your um, state house campaign, what do you think, how do you think right now the state government is doing as far as our environment is concerned? What's your problem? Poorly. Unfortunately, quite poorly. Um, the, the defunding over the, over the years of the Florida Forever program, uh, only to around election years promise some funding or give a little bit of funding just to just get headlines that they funded Florida Forever, even though they've over the over the last decade or so consistently slashed funding to where it's the the lowest it's ever been funded. Uh, and then tell tell you what, I hear a lot of really good talking points. I'm not going to say that our uh, current legislature is uninformed on the water issues. I believe that they are very well informed on the water issues. You you can tell by the way they speak about it. Uh, and this goes for a lot of other issues as well. They are well informed on the issue, informed enough to be able to make convincing pitches and hit all the right talking points to convince people to vote for them. Unfortunately, if you look at their actions once in office, you can know all about an issue, but if you're not promising 
action and your focus and effort to be on solutions on those issues, it it's just lip service. And I'm, I'm personally kind of tired of seeing and hearing all of this lip service for these issues that they know darn well they're not going to actually act on. All right. So, so say, so they say this November, Florida, our district chooses Adam Morley and you make it to the state house, you make it to Tallahassee. What is, how does Adam Morley, Representative Adam Morley, begin to tackle that issue once he's in office? So there's a lot of bipartisan support uh, from Florida residents to tackle these issues. So I've already, I've already got the people on my side in going into this to address and tackle these issues. I think, should we pull off this upset? Because it is a, a David versus Goliath battle that we're in for State House District 24. Uh, I'm up against the, the establishment, the big money, uh, well-funded politics. Should we pull off this upset? That alone is going to send a very strong message to the rest of the state legislature. And keep in mind, there's 120 state representatives. So when I get there, I'm going to be able to use a the the fact that the Floridians are on my side when it comes to clean water. We know that we are a clean water driven economy and we need to protect our waters in order to protect our jobs. And so that's that's already there. Combine that with the fact that I unseat an incumbent who is slated to become Speaker of the House, that sends a very strong message backing up my platform, my personal platform that I've put together based on the issues and concerns of both myself and the constituents of District 24 and say, listen, guys, I'm here because the voice of the people have spoken. It's loud. It's clear. These are the issues that we need to work on. It's still going to be an uphill battle. I'm I'm an optimist without an illusion. Uh, I know that if I get there, I'm going to be working and working just to get that needle to budge because we're, we're working against a, a current that's been flowing for a very long time. So I'm, I'm not expecting to get there and have everybody turn to me and say, Adam, what do we do on these issues? I expect to get there and work with my colleagues uh, both across the aisle and uh, within the aisle to really find solutions that work for our district and Florida as a whole. Hmm. All right. Now, um, so speaking of your uh, experience advocating for the environment, you are currently, let's see, a captain at a, is it Janung's Fish Camp? Am I saying that right? So Janung's Fish Camp, uh, my wife and I actually took over Janung's Fish Camp. We own it. Uh, I'm a captain by trade. I've been a captain for about 20 years now. And fun little story there. I got my captain's license and guiding career started here at this fish camp that 20 something years later, I am now the owner operator of along with my wife. So little uh, kind of a a full circle there, which is pretty cool. And now we're raising our son here at the fish camp. And I think he's actually caught more fish than me lately, uh, just off of our seawall. So I'll have to work on that soon. Oh, I'm getting a little, uh, little competition going there. And who's got yeah, he's five and able to catch his own fish now. So uh, I've got to step up my game. Who's catching them bigger though? Because I don't know. I, I think I'd kind of rather have like a nice, 
you know, nice little 20 pound red than just a bunch of little hardhead cats. <laughs> well, he, he's doing pretty good with the Jack Creval. He, he's caught some nice jacks right here. Uh, he's actually caught more flounder here at the fish camp than I have. So, uh, okay. so he, he, he's been putting food on the table. All right. All right. Now, um, that, that's just up the road from, that's uh, my new fishing spot I have is that it was like right where we were at the beach cleanup. Like, like yeah, a hundred feet up the road is where we, we pull over and, and uh, cast into the river. It's just yeah. south of Matanzas Inlet. And that spot is incredible, which I really shouldn't have said on a podcast people are going to listen to now. Yeah, exactly. You're not, supposed, you're not supposed to give away secret spots there. Uh, it's not that secret. I see people there, but I, I definitely wasn't thinking when I was speaking there. But that's an amazing spot. It's so diverse. You catch redfish, jack, flounder, um, uh, spotted trout. That was where I caught that ladyfish. There, mm-hmm. like I've lived here now in Florida for 20 years since I moved from California, and I have not stopped discovering amazing new fishing spots. Well, we are the fishing capital of the world. Oh, there you go. And um, I love, you know, I love fresh fish from the Florida coast, you know, mostly from the ocean. I love my mahi-mahi. We, you know, we, there's just so much amazing seafood here. I agree. But uh, let's see here. So, so getting to the, the roots of, the campaign what 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 first drove you to run for the state house of representatives it's been such a process and a journey uh to to reach the conclusion that i should run for office uh the fish camp is not the first business that i've owned i actually owned a recycling company uh Started it in 2008, built it from scratch, ended up selling it in 2015. But what I noticed owning that business was how how often we would see new new legislation, new new fees, uh, new permits that we'd have to apply for, and it would always cost us money. And I I just I couldn't figure it out. It made it very difficult. As a, as a startup company starting from scratch to build and grow, grow a company. And that's when I, I really took it a step farther than what I think a lot of other small business owners do. I think they, um, they're hit with all these fees and these permits and everything. And they, and they just kind of stop at the, it's, it's government imposing these, um, these regulations on them. Uh, I, I'm always more curious than, just stopping at the the surface issue. And so I started looking into where, where these proposals that turned into bills that turned into laws were coming from and being in the waste hauling industry, owning a recycling company, it's technically in the, the waste hauling industry. I found that a lot of the regulations that were being imposed on me were not actually originating in the state legislature. They were originating from my competitors from the people that I was competing with and taking customers away from mm. because I had a new and innovative service where they didn't want to change. And because they're the giants, they would use their, their finances, their, their, their lobbyists and their army of lawyers to get legislation passed that would basically 
put put the legislature's and regulations foot on my neck to say, and that made it really hard to grow. And so I started paying more attention to it and realizing we we don't really have a whole lot of competition in in the marketplace because because the big guys they have become so well established and the connections to the legislature have become so strong that they are it's easier for them to simply get legislation and regulations passed that hurt the little guys but a a $500 additional permit fee each year isn't going to hurt a multi-million dollar company that can afford an army of lawyers. But for a small business that's starting and growing, it does hurt those small businesses. And so trying to trying to bring about a more level playing field for new startup companies to be able to compete, that that's kind of where where I started getting more political. I've, I've always had the, the environmental uh, part about me, but it never got political until I started seeing the large companies that were using their, their finances to hold the companies down that were trying to change things for the better. So that's probably what, what did it for me was owning a business and seeing how, my competitors didn't even want to compete with me. They'd rather just go through the legislature to get me uh, shut down. That's interesting because you are running as a Democrat. And typically the, um, I don't know if you'd say like the, the reputation, but typically people don't expect Democrats to be the big pro small business candidates. So that, we, go ahead. We, which is crazy because- we, it, it, Democrat and Republican, like they're, they're all small business owners. Like we have just as many small business owner Democrats as we do Republicans. It, being a small business owner doesn't, it isn't the, the keystone in your political affiliation. Like you, you just happen to be one or the other because of a combination of many other views, but there are just as many small business owners who are uh, Democrats as there are Republicans. So you think, um, you know, the, the amount of small businesses that are out there that are feeling the same pressure from the larger entities that, um, that you're talking about. So you think there's going to be definitely some support for um, coming in there and making the change that you want to make from other small business owners in the area? Yeah, I, I sure hope so. If, if they have a small business that are in an industry that, usually is dominated by one or two of the largest national or international uh, corporations. And they always feel like they're struggling because of regulations that are being uh, like put on them. A lot of times those, those regulations are coming down the pipe because of their competitors who don't actually want to compete with them. And if, if they look into it and start seeing that a lot of times they, they realize where I'm coming from is, is accurate. And yeah, I, I hope to have, I have a lot of small business support already. I hope to get even more. Hmm. So yeah, Democrat for uh, the stronger free market. That is definitely um, you know not the approach everyone would expect it of a Democrat, but it is a, a unique campaign for sure. And uh, I think a lot of people will probably definitely see where you're coming from. So um, speaking of which, um, 
looking at your campaign site, one of your main bullet points is uh, energy policy, in which um, in which you say more competition in our energy markets um, would lead to lower costs for our consumers. I was wondering which which forms of energy specifically do you want to uh, invite to become more prevalent in the state of Florida and in our district? Like, are you do you have any that you prefer? Any that you're um, particularly averse to? And how do we create a more competitive market with um, expanded uh, energy industry? Yeah, so I'm I personally am partial to solar. Uh, I I've had solar for many years now, and and absolutely love it. But I'm I'm not going to say I favor any energy market over another, like any renewable energy market over another. I think it really depends on the region that you're in. Uh, we, we could do wind, we could do solar. There's so many alternatives out there, but the alternatives aren't getting to see the light of day because of policy. Policy matters. And right now, the state of Florida is one of, I think it's two states left that have, have these policies on the books where it gives the current utility providers a regional monopoly. So we have state sanctioned monopolies. If I wanted to say you spend my money with a company that is generating their power via renewable energy, be it wind, solar, hydro, whatever, I can't choose them. I am forced to do business with a an energy provider that then takes the profits that I'm contributing to and using it for exploratory fracking in another state. I would like to be able to vote with my dollars as a consumer and say, I want to go with a, another company that is doing things more in line with what I believe to be right. And we can't do that. So I would like to see more of a, uh, a again, a, a free market approach open it up and allow for the competition and the innovation to drive us forward beyond the, the the fossil fuels that we're using now. We know the future is in renewable energy. It's just getting past this, the the final grip of the fossil fuel industry that they have over, over our policymakers. Okay. So you want to um, move toward renewables and wield the market to do so. Do you think that is at odds with, um, the big decision in California where they're going to go away from selling new um, gas powered cars are going to go all electric by 2035. Are you, um, do you think you're like against that by going through free market approach? Do you think something like that, whatever work in the state of Florida? I, I don't really agree with a lot of the way, <laughs> a lot of the things and ways that California has handled things. And uh, another example is, how how much overdevelopment they've allowed. And I'm kind of seeing Florida head in that same direction. So I, I don't want to go the direction of California. I do believe that with the right people and the right, uh, the right message, we can, we can help people come to these, these conclu- conclusions on their own so that we don't have to, use the the heavy hand of government to to change things. I I believe that 
with the right information, people are going to make the best choices. And right now we're just fighting against so much of the well-funded campaigns against our best interests that as soon as we get past that, I think people are going to realize what the right decision is and they're going to make it for themselves as individuals uh, personally. So I, I believe... I believe more of a free market approach rather than what California has done, but California can do California as long as California doesn't come to Florida where <laughs> they're their own state. They, they get to run things the way they want to run things. I don't think that's the best approach for Florida. Hey, I'm from California. I'm California coming to Florida. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're from California and you, you've come to Florida. Yeah. And I think I've probably been molded by Florida a little bit, but, uh, yeah. So let's see. I noticed when you were um, you were talking about renewables, you mentioned um, solar and wind and I think hydroelectric, but you didn't mention nuclear. Do you think um, nuclear energy might have a seat at the table in the state of Florida in coming years? I'm I'm not a huge fan. No, uh, they if, if they have a seat at the table, it's going to be because of money and influence. It's not going to be because it's the uh, wisest of choices. We already have uh, the Turkey Point nuclear power plant down in South Florida that's already having issues. Uh, there, there's just too much risk involved with it. Uh, look at Fukushima. We are experiencing a lot of abnormal weather events and different things that we just can't ensure a a safe a safe system yet. And in my feeling, I, there, there's the nuclear waste that needs to be dealt with. There's the water waste that's used for cooling the, uh, the system. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of nuclear, especially in a state that's surrounded by water. Who's, uh, who has the most expensive, extensive spring system in the world. So all of this water is connected and I, one accident, and we're really up a creek. So I, I don't I don't think that's the direction we should go. Now, if you're in a, uh, a region where things are much more stable and you don't have to worry about hurricanes and you don't have to worry about storm surges and flooding and rising sea levels and all, all of these other like wildfires and all of these other issues that could potentially spell spell disaster for an energy grid. Um, Sure, maybe, but I don't think that's right for Florida. Hmm. All right. So um, let's see here. You you touched on the the free market, free market environmentalism. So um, in that, you know, in that vein, what do you think about proposals for a ban on fracking? So a, a ban on fracking... I, I do, and, and this is going to sound hypocritical uh, coming from a free market approach, uh, but I do support a, a Florida ban on fracking. So trying, trying to figure out the smoothest way to say I support a fracking ban. There we go. We'll just call it a fracking ban. So that's in the best interest of everyone because we know the, again, most extensive spring system in the world. We have a very porous ground. We understand the process behind fracking. There's 
there's too much risk involved to the people, to the the health and well-being of our residents in Florida to risk allowing fracking when there's so many other alternatives. So yeah, I, I do support and I do believe that government should play a role in in the market, but I don't believe that it should be picking winners and losers like it is now by allowing the the fossil fuel industry to essentially write the policies and uh, fund the campaigns to hold back their competition. I say uh, let them compete on a on a level playing field and let the people choose. But when it comes to things that are known to risk known to risk the population, put the population at risk, then we need to step in and say the risk is is too great. We we can't allow this risk uh, to be taken because it could impact too much of the population in a negative way. So it's a fine balance, yes, but I would support a uh, the the fracking ban that believe it or not, several of the uh, Republican leadership uh, members in Tallahassee have been proposing a ban on fracking for many sessions now. It's just not getting enough support because, well, a lot of the other legislators are funded in part by fossil fuel and the fracking industry. So it's a very complex Uh, complex system. And while we do have bipartisan support for a fracking ban, it, it hasn't happened yet, even with the Republican leadership supporting it. It's interesting because I have seen, you know, there are, there is bipartisan support. You do have Republicans who support it, but I've also seen there are some Democrats who don't support it. So it's one of those weird issues where I feel like it's, there are some yeses and nos on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times that it it comes down to money. The yeses and nos depend on where a lot of the funding is coming from. So if you look at some of the funding from the Democrats who uh, vote no on the ban, it's because they're in an area that might be it might be very profitable for uh, fracking. And so you're getting a lot of campaign contributions coming from that industry. And so they're, they're not in support of a ban that could uh, potentially increase their, their wealth and keep them in office. Right, so yeah, you think if, a, if the legislature starts to be less beholden to, you know, certain special interests, do you think that's something that would be passed quite quickly would be a ban on fracking? Yeah, I do. All right. That makes, makes sense. And I think that's the way that it, that it should work. Uh, Government shouldn't just step in without reason. I think that, and this kind of goes back to another one of my uh, campaign platform issues, one of my priorities is home rule. And this is my vision of how how things should kind of work in, in, our, in our country, in our state. Home rule allows local governments... Uh, at the direction of their residents to address issues locally. Right now, Tallahassee has been preempting a lot of those 
a lot of those decisions saying that Tallahassee knows what's best. We're going to make those decisions. When I think the way that it should work is that locals should be able to show up at their city or county commission and tell them this is the issue and this is what we would like addressed. And then everybody goes to work on addressing these issues at a local level. Policies are formed, ordinances are passed, and we can see how it plays out on the local level. If it's a successful strategy that was implemented, then other communities facing similar or the same issues can then adopt that or they uh, pass their own policies that may do better or uh, may not perform as well. And so you have this constant uh, improving going on until finally a consensus has been reached among the majority of the counties and the majority of the population of the state saying, okay, these are the, the policies that have worked best for all of us that we that we support and like. And then that's when the state should step in and say, okay, the, the consensus is that we should ban fracking. And that's actually what's happened in Florida. A majority of the cities and counties in the state of Florida have passed resolutions opposing and or banning locally fracking. Hmm. So there's that consensus there. The, the state legislature doesn't have to guess about what the people of Florida want. It's clear as day. Unfortunately, they pat the, the legislature uh, voted on and said, you know what? No, this is a decision that Tallahassee gets to make. After a majority of communities in the state of Florida said that they don't want it, they the legislature worked against the people and said, no, we get to make this decision. So I think that we should start at the local level. If it works at the local level, it starts expanding to other municipalities. Once a consensus has been reached, that's when the state should be like, okay, you guys have done the legwork. You've spoken loud and clear. We're going to take this up at the state level now to pass a uniform policy so that everybody's on the same page. That That's my vision of how it so should. So you're a proponent that you know each county generally knows what's best for them. Absolutely. I, I don't think top-down policy or top-down legislation is always the right way to go about it. What works in Jacksonville doesn't necessarily work in Palm Coast or in rural District 24. I, I think that we need a more local approach to the problems and the issues that we are seeing rather than these, these top-down policies that tie the hands of local governments from being able to really ad- address the issues that, that concern their residents. All right. So that's a very good. So pivoting to another point on your website, one goal you have is to promote affordable living. Now I just saw uh, yesterday, I just saw a little internet meme of someone who lived in Florida and I know internet memes are a great launching pad for discussion of policy, but I saw <laughs> one and it basically said, it's like, you know, in, in its own humorous way, it basically pointed out that living in Florida, our minimum wage is, I think it's eight something. I forget the cent number. But it's, it's between 8 and $9. And then you have a lot of places where rent is easily up over $2,000. So how do you go about making, you know, make, promoting affordable living in our district and in our state, especially for people who are working, you know, 
jobs closer to the minimum wage? Yeah, so I think one of the the big issues that are that's overlooked when it comes to affordable living is especially in in Florida and more locally in destination communities, uh, especially along the the coast. What's happening is you're getting a lot of these investment companies that are coming in and they're purchasing up all of the single family homes that normally would be available to locals or residents that, that live and work in the communities. They're, they're purchasing up all of these homes and then they're turning them into short-term Airbnb rentals. And what that is doing is it's driving up the cost of rent. It's driving up the cost of living because all of these homes that were once on the market and available at a reasonable rate for for residents, for locals, are now no longer available. And so it's it's supply and demand. The the supply is limited on how many available homes there are. And so that means that the demand goes up and so does the cost. So if we are able to kind of slow down this this trend we're seeing with investment companies coming, investment firms coming in and buying up all of these single family homes in these quiet residential neighborhoods and communities and turning them into short-term rentals. Like I'm, I'm not against the idea of like individuals buying an investment property and, and turning it into a, a short-term rental. That's okay. But we have to be real careful about allowing these large investment firms who have no stake in the community to come in and do this. And that, again, it ties back to home rule. Tallahassee agreed with the the short-term rental industry and said, no, you can't decide what you're going to do in your community. We're going to do that for you. And then they sided with the the investment firms that come in and buy up all of this uh, available single-family housing. Uh, I, I think that we can address a lot of the issues by really just not siding with the 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 corporations and the the people that really they don't need any more help like they're they're doing <laughs> they're doing just fine as is they don't need the legislature's uh, help and assistance in increasing their wealth anymore they've got that uh, if we simply returned our focus to the needs of the the people uh, the middle class and the the folks that are not doing as great as as they'd like, then we can start working on solutions to bring all of them up to where they would they'd be more. Okay, so yeah, you want to get a lot of those you know big rental so to speak companies uh, out of it. Do you um, do you think there's any any part for you know is was rent control going to be part of the plan as well? Um, no, I, I I don't. I don't like that term rent control. I don't think that's the the best way to go about it. I think that if like you're you're here in the district, you know how beautiful this area is. I think with the the right message, the right messaging, uh, not only and not only can we attract some of the right industry that will provide the the better paying jobs and the 
the industry, the clean industry that's not going to impact the quality of life here, I think that'll go a long way in ra- raising the raising the wages in the area. I think if we also focus more on small businesses, because we understand that when you when you spend a hundred dollars at a small business, sixty eight of those dollars stays in the local community. When you spend it at a chain, about forty two of those dollars stays locally. And when you spend it online, it doesn't really stay locally at all. So if we are able to focus locally and have people basically recycling that cash in the local economy, that strengthens the local economy and everybody does better. But when we continue to try to attract companies with huge tax breaks and other incentives that are simply going to siphon money out of the local economy and send it back to uh, HQ and some other state, that's not doing us any favors. So we should be looking at really fostering a, a business environment where the owners of these businesses want to live in this community because of the quality of life, because of everything. And then that way, we know that they've got skin in the game on what happens with our community. We don't just want to bring the companies here. We want the owners to live here because when, when business owners live in the, in the community that they're providing services for, they're going to take it more personally. They're going to do more to make that community a better place and keep that quality of life high because they've got skin in the game. So I think that's a better approach. All right. Very interesting. And um, so, and then another thing, um, and I, I mentioned at the, the beginning there that I noticed I do not see on the site is what, what do you think right now of Florida's minimum wage? Do you think it needs to be raised by state legislature or is there another approach for increasing spending power? I think that is an amendment, a uh, constitutional amendment on the ballot uh, this cycle, or if it didn't make it on this time, it's going to be coming up next time. Uh, I, I think that the minimum wage is too low. Honestly, I, I don't have an answer to how to raise it. I do think that if, if the legislature is is willing to work on that. It's definitely something I'm willing to work on as well. But if there's not support in the legislature, if there's if there's no way that it's going anywhere, I, I don't see myself spending a lot of time on that issue unless I see a, a path to victory on it. Now, I think that is why a lot of organizations have moved to the, the, the constitutional, constitutional amendment method is they see the state legislature unwilling to act on the issues that people care about most. And so they've moved to the the state's constitution. Unfortunately, the legislature has proven time and again over the last uh, decade or so that they don't really care about our constitutional amendments. They are going to do everything they can to avoid uh, writing and passing the legislation that the, the voters of Florida have overwhelmingly supported and passed via constitutional amendments. So it, that, that being said, if they pass, if voters of Florida pass the constitutional amendment uh, raising the minimum wage, then your representative 
should work to make that happen. They should not work to uh, undermine the amendments that were passed with overwhelming majority of Floridians. They, they should work to pass, pass those amendments uh, in, in law form because that, that's what representatives are supposed to do, in, in my opinion. If there's a constitutional amendment and people say that they want the minimum wage raised, then your representative should be working with all the other representatives to figure out how that happens. All right. So, yeah, when you mentioned, you know, when you mentioned the, uh, the state legislature, sometimes not um, you're doing, you know, enacting the, um, the people's vote on amendments is, um, you, you know, as part of that, like an allusion to the felon voting um, debacle, I guess you'd say. It. It, it, it's like it's directly uh, for for me. It's Amendment One, the the Land and Water Conservation Acquisition uh, Amendment, uh, 2014, I guess it was. It was the Amendment Two, the medical marijuana, which like they eventually were dragged kicking and screaming through the courts on that because they just didn't want it. Um, it's Amendment Four, the uh, the for the ex-felon uh, voting rights, how they're now now trying to, as some are calling it, a, a poll tax, trying to make sure that the those fees have been paid before you get to vote. Like it's it's all of these amendments that have passed with bipartisan support that the legislature it the the political ideology of the legislature disagrees with the will of the people. And so they do everything they can to, to avoid enacting those amendments. And it's a shame because people feel that the legislature is not listening to them. Their only way to make, make change is to enact constitutional amendments because the legislature won't listen to them. And now the legislature is passing laws to make it even more difficult to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot. They are straight up restricting the, the voice of the people. But unfortunately it's such a complicated and far removed uh, issue from everyday life that a lot of people don't see it. They don't understand it. And we're slowly giving, giving the legislature way more power than, than they should have. All right. Very interesting. So let's see now as we as we get toward the close of the episode I have one question and this is the most important question to me of the whole episode. I was doing <laughs> I was doing you know doing my homework for the pod the podcast episode and so I you know I type in into Google Adam Morley to do some research and it seems there is another there is another Adam Morley somewhere who is a jazz dance instructor and he took one of the Google results. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm looking at this and it's like, huh, there's an Adam Morley jazz instructor. But then I also was doing my research and I made my way over to Facebook. And then it, it lists this Adam Morley, our Adam Morley, as also being a dance instructor. So what <laughs> are you are you are you a secret choreographer? What's going on? So, so no, I, I am actually a, I, I teach ballroom Latin and swing dance. Uh, so it's not actually jazz dance, but uh, 
I, I guess twenties jazz is technically uh, swing swing music. So yeah, I've been a kind of a part time dance instructor, kind of a little side gig for shoot uh, over a decade now. Uh, I uh, yeah, la- last year actually before the before the pandemic, I was teaching a West Coast swing class down at the Palm Coast Community Center uh, every week and. That was a lot of fun. We had a nice little group of people that would come into the community center and learn West Coast swing. Uh, so that's that's something I do on the side because I I enjoy dancing. My wife, that's how my wife and I met. Uh, we met dancing. She was actually my dance instructor, and then we went on to uh, co-instruct together. And it, it's just something that I enjoy so much. It, it gets me out with people. I'm able to. Uh, interact socially, but still have a, a role. I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of an awkward person if I don't have a role to fill. So I, I'm not the type to just to like go to social events and fit right in. I'm the, I'm the awkward guy kind of hanging out at the, the shrimp dish and uh, holding up walls, but I like going out. I like teaching dancing. I, I do things when I have a, a no role kidding, to play. When I saw their, because there is another Adam Morley dance instructor, so I don't know if you found there dance instructor, or, or are you talking the producer? Uh, there, there's like a there's a film producer and possibly chore, uh, choreographer that uh, I think he's in the UK Maybe, or something. Because I I'm I'm looking at it now and it says like he's like live jazz class with dance instructor Adam Morley. So there's definitely another huh. Adam Morley out there who's also a dance instructor. That that's interesting. I, I think we need to have a dance. Oh off. my gosh, this needs to happen. We're gonna have we're gonna invite this guy in from the UK to appear on the county news <laughs> website. And we're gonna shoot a video of a straight up dance battle. I'm down for this. That, that would be oh amazing. Oh my gosh, you know, that that definitely needs to happen. I'm going to look into that. But for now, for now, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners of Talk Flagler how they can vote for Adam Morley this November? So folks can vote for me the same way they're going to be casting their ballot for the November election. That can be vote by mail. That can be early voting, or that can be uh, election day, November. 3rd, 2020. That's the first Tuesday of November. And that's pretty simple. Their their voting really is as easy as it can be. You can can do it, again, by mail, early voting, day of election. There's really no excuse not to vote. All right. So that'll be in. That'll be on November 3rd. Adam Morley running for District 24 State House of Representatives. He is a, an up-and-coming politician. He's the owner of a fish camp. He is at least in the top two dance instructors named Adam Morley in the world. <laughs> at least top two. I like but not that. number That's one. Good. So, Adam, thank you so much for uh, coming on Talk Flagler, and uh, hope to see you around. I really appreciate the opportunity, Chris. 
So, did you like that episode? If so, go to patreon.com slash talkflagler and subscribe to support the show. For as little as $3, which could buy you a cup of coffee a decade ago, you could help give us the resources to continue to get more guests, better equipment, and, well, continue to make the show. So go to patreon.com slash talkflagler and subscribe now. For us, you can find us at askflagler.com, your newer news website for Flagler County. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, hit that forward slash askflagler. And if you'd like to be on the podcast, reach out to our email, podcast at askflagler.com. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are, we want to hear your story. For the askflagler.com team, the Talk Flagler podcast, and our guest, Adam Orley, I'm Joey Santos-Jones, alongside Chris Gollin. Thanks for listening.